0: Good afternoon everybody and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay and today and for the next several days we're going to be going through the characters of Christmas. In order to do so we're going to pick up at the Gospel of Matthew and we're going to read through the Christmas narrative stopping along the way uh, visiting with the characters that we come across and looking into their lives, considering their, their station in life during the time of the birth of Christ, considering their, their, their life as a whole, making some speculations certainly as concerning the, the things that they would hear, the way that they would feel, but just a joy to be able to connect these, these characters together in this narrative to be able to better gain a sense of, of what it was like to be there at the, at the coming of the King. No doubt, it must have been amazing. And so, uh, with any good stories line to begin with, we have the genealogy that we will start with in Matthew chapter number 1. Beforehand, though, we'll seek the Lord in prayer, asking for his blessings upon our heart. Father, we thank you for this time of year, for Christmas. The very connection of our Savior, Messiah, has come. Lord, to to celebrate the birth of one whom the world considered to be a peasant, but whom we know to be the king. In fact, above the king, but the king of all kings. We ask your blessing upon us as we look into your son's lineage as concerning the earth. We'll praise you, Lord. We'll praise you for how you have made that connection between yourself and us, so that we may be reunited to our former estate in the perfection of walking with you daily in communion with the Lord, just like Adam did. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name for this mighty work that he has done. Amen. Well, praise God, guys. Here we go in Matthew chapter number 1 beginning in verse number one, and the scripture goes to tell us that the book of generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, as we begin at this particular point, we are following through Mary's lineage. Now, in Luke chapter number 3, down towards the middle of the chapter, towards the end of it, you'll find Joseph's lineage. And the scriptures very clearly spell out that it is Joseph's lineage because it begins with, with from Joseph to Adam and literally goes from Adam, whom God made from the dust of the earth, all the way up to Jesus being born. And so with Mary's genealogy, it doesn't mention Mary at all. But it begins where all all of the Hebrew people begin themselves, and that is with Abraham as their father. And so one thing I want to make real clear before we start jumping through these different names of the generations is this which we find in verse number 17. In verse number 17, the scripture says, so all of the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. In other words, there's two sets of seven generations between Abraham and David. There's 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away of Babylon are 14 generations, two sets of seven And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Well, the reason why I'm bringing this out is the span of time for 14 generations. If you consider 20 or 30 years to be one generation, and you've got 14 generations, you're going to see some names that are on here that, that seem to be extremely far apart from each other, but... God purposed these names to be the connecting links that made the lineage of Christ possible. And so, as we're going through this, you would say, well, wait a minute. How can, for instance, let me show you some that you're actually going to be really familiar with. For instance, we we would come up here and we would see in verse number 5 where Salmon would beget Boaz of Rechab. Okay, so Solomon would would connect himself. Solomon would be one of the two thieves that actually had snuck in and spied out the walls of Jericho. And remember, Rahab here is the young lady that that saved the two spies from being captured by the the uh, by the the Jerichites. By lowering them down on the outside of the wall, and her prayer was, okay, I'm going to deliver you out of here, but when you come and crush the city, please leave my my family and let me live. So understand that, that Solomon would be one of the guys of the two that were lowered out the backside that would actually... Um, come into marriage with Rahab, and another important point about this is in verse number five. Is this Rahab? She is not an Israelite. She's a Jerichite. She's from Jericho, and so what you're going to find throughout Jesus's lineage is that that there's going to be several women that are mentioned that that are not. Hebrew people. They they come from other lands. They come from other places, and what that brings us to is the connection in Jesus is that both Jew and Gentile uh, matter to God because we find both Jew and Gentile in the lineage of Jesus, and so that's pretty important. But then you look at this this timeline, and you see that Salmon and Rechab came together, and they had Boaz, and and then of course you find that Boaz. Comes together with Ruth. Now you understand who Ruth is—the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and and Obed uh, is the birth that comes from them, and from them becomes Jesse. So a lot of these guys were familiar with, but the the span of time that would exist between Amram and Aminadab and Aminadab and Naasen ne- ne- and Naasen ne- uh, to to Solomon—that it. There's a lot of generations that are mentioned here. Seven generations, in fact. And seven sevens of generations for 14 to be able to make it to Babylon. It's just amazing, this timeline. So let's look at a few of these, guys, while we're at it. The scripture, the book of generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham, we're familiar, he begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas. Interesting how it would start there. Jacob begat Judah and his brethren. And so, you have Reuben before Judah. You, you have, uh, all of a sudden, I've lost my thinking of the guys that would come before Judah. He's number four. You've got several brothers from Reuben to Judah uh, you know, th- three guys before him. So Judah is number four, but he is the lineage by which God would bring forth the Messiah, as well as being the lineage of the King of Bethlehem, of Jerusalem. All of this comes from the from the the descendancy of Judah, and so we, we're marked here with Judah and his brethren. Now, Judah begets two sons, Phares and Zara of Tamar, and Phares begets Esram, and Esram begets Aram and aram he has Aminadab, and Aminadab has Naasen, and Naasen begets Solomon, and Solomon begets Boaz of Rachab of course, I love. Uh, Boaz, the story of Ruth. I mean, she got her own book, praise the Lord. The story of Ruth is an amazing and powerful story because there and again, Rahab would be a woman of the nations. Ruth would be a Moabitess. So she would be a woman of the nations that would come into the lineage of Christ. And Boaz begets Jesse. Now, Jesse is the father of of eight children. And David the runt of the litter, the eighth David is uh, the the shepherd boy, the son. Of course, he's going to become king, but beforehand, he's just that shepherd boy. And and the neat thing about about David is the fact that that when Samuel went to Jesse's home, because God had directed him there and said, out of this out of this man, out of this lineage, I'm going to bring forth my king. And keep, keeping in mind also that Saul was already the king, as chosen by the people. But of course, the people chose Saul. God chose David. Well, needless to say that when Samuel's over there, he sees the oldest brother, and he sees the seven before David, and he says, "Surely one of these guys has got to be it." I mean, they're they're strong, they're tall, they're proud, they're powerful. And God just keeps passing them over one at a time. And finally, Samuel says, Lord, what world are you doing? We've got to have a king here. And he says, there's one more. And of course, they call for David. David comes out of the field and he shows up. He's this little scrawny runt. He's he's just this, this shepherd boy. And God says, that's the one I want. Well, When you make the comparison as we see Jesus come into the world... Jesus comes in the world and I talked about this yesterday in church he comes into this world as a lamb he's not born in a house he's not born in a palace or in the, in the priest's home he's he's born outside where you would expect a lamb to be born and and what are his first connections with mankind but shepherds in the field watching their flocks by night and so the connection of Jesus to to David the connection of Jesus to the lineage from from Abraham clear up to Jacob clear up to to David this lineage is all connected by sheep it's connected by shepherding and and so we find that that David being this shepherd is exactly whom God would would choose to be king because there will be another shepherd that or or should I say a great shepherd, there'd be another shepherd that comes in his lineage behind him that is preferred before him, just like John the Baptist was speaking in prophecy. And, And it would be this shepherd that would go forth to lead the people unto salvation. And so it's just really neat when you consider David's legacy because Jesse, he begat David the king and David beget Solomon. Of course, we know that that there are many other Absalom and there are many other children that David beget between the four wives that he would acquire. But the one wife, which is revealed here, it says, uh, David the king beget Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Now this is pretty important because the first woman that we find that is not of of Israel is, is Rahab. The second woman we find that is not of Israel is Ruth. And the third woman that we find that is not of Israel is Bathsheba. Which Bathsheba who was the wife of Urias, he he was uh he was not an Israeli. Uriah was not. And so it, it's very important to understand that though he served David as As the leader, as the general of his army, he was not an Israelite man. And so we we find that there is three women to this point, and it makes mention, but it does not mention her name, but it does make mention of who she was, uh, that are connected to Jesus' lineage. And of course, you understand that in the connection of Jesus' lineage is uh, plenty of sin. (laughs) plenty of evil doings and wickedness that has existed at this point. And Solomon, he begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, of course, at Rehoboam, in in verse number 7, you understand with Rehoboam, there is the division of the kingdoms. Now, we're going to begin to to see from verse number 7, that there are ten tribes that ultimately are going to be broken off from this from this lineage, whereas beforehand you'll find that all of the twelve tribes were intermarrying within each other now you're going to find that once the northern tribes under Jeroboam move move north and establish their own house of God at Bethel. You're going to find that, that Judah and, and the north, or the southern kingdoms rather, that are, are, are going to keep to themselves, and you're going to see a lot of family lines within Judah begin to marry uh, amongst each other. And then you're going to see the ten tribes that broke away from them up to the north that would all become to intermingle among each other there, thus dividing a kingdom between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Here we find in verse 7 that Rehoboam beget Abiyah, and Abia beget Asa, and Asa beget Josephat, Josephat beget Joram, Joram beget Uzziah, Uzziah beget Jotham, Jotham beget Ahaz, Ahaz beget Hezekiah. It's it, You got to look at these names. I don't know if you have the have the book open with you. Yeah, I hope that you have your Bible open. You're looking through these names, but you'll see them spelled actually in Greek and in their. You know, I'm working through the Greek to think of their Hebrew names. So, Ezekias is actually Hezekiah. Hezekiah begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon, and Ammon Josiah. And Josiah begat Jeconiah, and Jeconiah's brethren. And about that time, they were carried away to Babylon. So we understand we've gone through uh, two sets of 14 generations now. And it goes down, and he says, uh, we're in Babylon now. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begat Salathiel. And Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begat Abiud. Abiud begat Eliakim, Eliakim begat Azor, Azor begat Sadok, Sadok begat Achim, Achim begat Eliud, Eliud begat Eleazar, Eleazar begat Mathan, Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph. Now we're at the point where we see Mary's husband, which by the way comes from the lineage of, lineage of David the king, but also Mary comes from the lineage of David, the king, and so it's very important to realize that both of these characters, Joseph will begin with, but both of these characters, they're recognized in royalty, in the lineage of royalty, and so even though they they come from, uh, as we see them on the scene, coming from this Nazareth, coming from this Galilee, coming coming from a poor station, uh, as concerning being the the daughter of a potter, Jacob, or the the or not Jacob? That was let's see Joseph's father, uh, the the carpenter of uh, of Jacob. You know, coming to Joseph, or the the daughter of of a potter, anyways. So so we understand that they seem to have very lowly. Stations in life as concerning who they are, but they're not. Uh, both Joseph and Mary had it been uh, fourteen generations ago, it would have been born in the palace. They would have been born in Jerusalem as kings and queens. They would, they, they would be recognized as royalty. Only fourteen generations beforehand, they, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been in this state. So what happened? The answer: Rome. Rome came in. Well really even before Rome, Babylon. Babylon is the answer, and then the Persian kingdom is the answer, and then the Greeks are the answer, and then Rome is the answer, where where the only royalty would that would be allowed would be the royalty of Rome, or the royalty of Greece, Persia, or Babylon. And so any other kings would either be executed or their families be lowered to a station of equality with the rest of the rabble as being peasants before the new country, or the new regime that would rule over them. So it's very important to realize though we have all these Christmas narratives and though we have all these the the these movies and these things we have this imagery that shows us that these two are just nothing but dirt broke poor peasants walking around in Galilee nothing's further from the truth these two and their parents, they all come from a lineage of royalty. And so often you'll find me saying, why wasn't Jesus born in the palace of a king? Why, why wasn't Jesus born in the home of a priest? Well, the truth is, is that he was. He was born among a people that belonged in the palace of the king. He was born among a people that belonged in, in, in the temple. But given that the people had rejected God... Given that the people had rejected the plan of God, that that God would bring them into captivity because of their rebellion against God, what they would have been, what they could have been, had to be suspended f- for their rebellion. Guys, this is so vital for you to get. It's because there there is the plan of God that that he would have for every single one of you. But that plan comes to fruition through obedience. And so if you still to this day have been rebellious to God, maybe you're supposed to be called to be a preacher. Maybe you're supposed to be called to be a pastor, to be an evangelist, to be a missionary, to be to be a a teacher in a seminary. I mean, maybe maybe there's something that God has for you to do, but you're still sitting around wondering what God would have for you to do because you won't let go of your sin. You won't give up your rebellion. And, And God will not use you while you stand in rebellion to him. And so these generations that we see, many of these generations we know had suffered rather in a wilderness or they had suffered, rather, in, in, in Egypt, like when like we go back to Abraham, when we get to Jacob, he suffers in Egypt for 430 years. Rather, they they deal with, with the situations like David as, as he would go into the years of wickedness and rebellion that he would have at the onset of, of Bathsheba when kings were supposed to be on the front lines and he was in his palace watching the rooftops, I mean... it's amazing all of the things that they could have been, all of the things that they should have been to lead up to Mary and Joseph, where they were in their day. It's because of rebellion. Now, it wasn't Mary's rebellion and it wasn't Joseph's rebellion. Those two were chosen of God because of their humble heart, not their humble station in life, but their humble hearts. But understand that Mary and Joseph would have been as humble of heart had they been born in a palace as they were being born in the dirt of Nazareth. Because the the very connection between Mary and Joseph is, is that they loved God immensely. They loved God. They looked for God. They sought Him. They listened to God. But what they had to deal with was the poverty of former generations that ignored God and rejected his purpose. And so they're where they're at. But it's so vital to understand that Mary and Joseph, they're not the the they're not poor. They're royalty. And that is what you find from the King to verse number sixteen. It says, So Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. And from David under the carrying away of Babylon are 14. And from the carrying away of Babylon unto the birth of Jesus are 14 generations. Funny how sevens make a big difference. (laughs) Sevens are an amazing number in Hebrew, and 14, of course, is the connection of two sevens, which is even more amazing. Now, in verse number 18 of the scripture, we move forward. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Of course, now we know the situation. Matthew kind of blocks this out, kind of like in the fashion that Mark would have. Now, from, from verse number 18, we can go into Mary. And we can look at the, this amazing, uh, amazing connection with Mary, because of course we understand through Mary that that she would come to, the you know, get water in the pitchers by date. Matter of fact, let's skip Joseph today. We'll just go straight to Mary, so that we can look at the connection here. So from Matthew one eighteen we see that that his mother mary was espoused to joseph before they came together but let's look at mary's life and so i'm going to call you over to luke let's take a look luke chapter number 1 i'm going to move you over to luke because what we find here in luke is is this blessing that we have of mary and so, I'm going to move you down into verse number 26, Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 26. It says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So, we understand the connection between Matthew chapter number 1, verse 18, To the expanded point of Mary's story in Luke chapter number one, verse twenty seven, because this is a young lady that's already espoused, she was rather given by her father to Joseph, or rather her and Joseph were rejoicing in each other, and it was it was mutual, it it matters not. She became the the uh, spouse of espoused of Joseph. So the way it works Joseph would come in, he would make known his intentions for for the for the daughter of of you know, for Mary. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to put all this together in my head but she he would come in and he would make his intentions known to Mary's father, and Mary's father being agreeable to his intentions would then bring Mary before him. There would be a cup of communion that would be passed between them as they would drink the wine of the cup between the two. It is the promise, and they are they are engaged at this point. Now they're not married, they're engaged at this point. Now to the Hebrew people an engagement was as as much so, if not even more so, than the actual marriage itself. So during the time of the engagement, the the husband-to-be would leave the woman and go and prepare a home for her, whether he had to build her a home, whether he had to add on to his family's estate for them to have a home, regardless of how he was going to do it. He had to go and prepare a place for her. Just like Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would have told you, but I go to pre- prepare a place before you so that where I am, there you will also be. So we understand that the church today is recognized as being espoused under Christ. He has left to go prepare the estate that we would have for us. And when he's completed his estate, he'll come back for us and he will call us unto himself. Which oftentimes, when you're in a wedding ceremony, you will find that the man is already up front with with the pastor or the priest that's standing by waiting for the woman to approach the aisle. Well, when the woman is walking the aisle, of course she's being led by her earthly father, an earthly companion that she would choose to lead her down the aisle. Father is the traditional method because the earthly father is the is the guide on on earth to be able to get you through the time that you're here on the earth. And so we find that as the father's walking the bride down the aisle, it's representative of the church walking through uh this this age, walking through this time, uh you know, and, and the difficulties that, that may come, the the length of stretch before she could get to the place where the the son, where the, the young man that that is has chosen her. Very important to understand they, they have chosen each other, but the young man chose her. He's the one that that oftentimes will initiate the marriage and asking for her hand. So he chose her. And and then you'll find that he is released by the pastor at the front to go down to her to receive her. And then the of course the earthly father relinquishes his role of, of protector and guide unto the man. That is to marry her, and that's the very case when we relinquish our our earthly vessel here on this earth. It's rather we pass away, or rather we we uh, are received into the clouds of the air, just like Jesus would come to the clouds of the air to receive us at the time of rapture. Regardless, we we find that very same thing within the context of marriage, and then of course when when the man comes to receive his wife. He takes her with him, and wherever he is from that point forward, there she shall be. And that is exactly the beauty of what marriage represents. And so the promise that they're engaged, but that engagement is very important and powerful because if Mary is to do anything to break the engagement, such as become pregnant with a, uh, by another man, then it, as stated by law of the Hebrews, she could be taken outside of the city gates and stoned for a rebellion. Likewise for Joseph, by the way, if he goes forth and impregnates other women or breaks his vows, he can be stoned as well for being a rejecter of the covenant. And, and so, here you have Mary's plight all the more because here this young lady is, is found to be with child, just like it said in Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 18. But let's look at how that happens and the bravery it would take for this young lady to have to face all the odds that would be against her to remain faithful to God's purpose. And so we have Mary. Verse number 28 of Luke chapter 1. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Of course, we understand the connection of prophecy between Uh, Isaiah chapter number 9, we understand the connection of the prophecy of Micah chapter number 5, we understand the prophecy of Isaiah chapter number 7, all being fulfilled at this point of time, many other prophecies besides, those being the the principal ones, the primaries, and and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end, verse number 34, Mary said to the angel, how is this possible? How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I've never had intimacy with a man. How is it going to be possible? Because keep in mind, with any person on the earth, and this is vital to understand, with anybody on the earth, the only way that they've only ever understood children to be able to come into the world... As if you had a father and a mother come together to produce a child, they've seen the struggling of childbirth of 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 the, the the different mothers, of course, I mean Mary would be well familiar because she's not the the only daughter, but Mary would be well familiar with with all of the the struggle that would come from from childbirth and so she has a great idea of how this is supposed to work. But this guy's saying that she's going to be able to have a child. This guy's saying that a child's going to be formed inside of her womb, but Mary knows she's never been with a man. And so, how in the world is it possible? Well, the angel answered the, the speculation there. And the angel said unto her in verse number 35 The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. <laughs> By the way, it, it it's a creation of God God is going to literally enter your womb by the Holy Spirit who overshadows you God is literally going to initiate the connection of of the ce, cellular structure the cellular level structure of of the divisions that would, that would be begin to bring forth the the skin cells begin to bring forth the heart and the brain and the lungs and and all of this. So the vital point to make in all of this is that that which is conceived at the beginning of cellular division, that which is conceived inside of a woman, is a gift of God. And and see, you can now understand that that what ab- abortion actually is is a rejection of God's gift. Children are a blessing of God. Children are a gift of God. Now, you cannot blame God for your indiscretions. Most of the abortions that take place, not all, but most of the abortions that take place in our society are convenience abortions. It cannot be argued or contested. Most of the abortions, keep in mind, I didn't say all, most are are because of the inconvenience of of what this is going to do to my life, you know. I'm I'm single, I'm in college. It's going to ruin my my ability to finish college. We'll just kill the kid. So instead of keeping your body pure and holy unto the estate of marriage and not having sexual connections with a multitude of men only to discover yourself pregnant instead of accepting your your failure, your moral failure in doing this and and you know not blaming the child who had no choice in this whatsoever because of your indiscretions you instead of accepting your responsibility are just going to kill this child well, you can understand at that point and the connection of the womb and how Jesus is born that abortion is murder. It, it, there's no convenience to it at all. You're, you're literally killing a gift. God is giving to this world. Every child that comes into this world has the potential of being able to change the world. Every child that comes into this world has, has the potential of being able to, to do so, such amazing things, invent such amazing things, write such amazing things. I mean, every child that could have come into this world could have made a difference in it, but we killed over 70 million of them. No wonder we're in the state that we're in today as a world society. No wonder we killed 70 million of the of the hope that we could have had. And so we have to realize that it's just murder. There's no way to justify it. Now you say, well, what about the woman who's either going to die or the child dies? What about that? Well, what about... The, the issues of of attack, of assault, of, of all of these different things. Keep in mind, I said most. I didn't say all. But most are convenience. And that's murder. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And so it comes down. And it says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, in verse number 35. And the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. Well, let let me answer this too. A lot of people say, well, why in the world would the angel say that holy thing? Why would he call this child a thing? thing when when this is going to be the Son of God. Is it because in the womb up until the third trimester it's not actually human, it's just a thing? Is that why we can we can justify our abortion? No, that's actually not why you can justify an abortion, because the angels, as it is written in other places of New Testament and Scriptures, say that human beings are something odd to them. We're, we are an interesting creation to them, and they 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 are curious about us to to they they don't realize what we are or why God would pour out such affection and attention upon us, and so we are things as human beings to these angels well of course, the angels we we say about the things that go bump in the night, so we look at angels and we're curious about them, and we call them things. And the angels that are curious about us, they call us things, but the recognition of of the child from its beginnings of cellular division as being conceived in the womb is recognized when he says that that which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, a little boy, the Son of God. Keeping in mind also that angels don't know male or female they're, they're an and they're a heavenly creation that is not made either male or female. It, it is a, it is a whole separated creation from everything else that God has made. So when they say the son of God, what is a son from a daughter to them? And so people would say, well does that give us justification to be transgender? <laughs> no, it doesn't. The fact of the matter is, is that the concept of transgender or changed gender only exists in the mind of man. It isn't something that exists inside of the flesh or inside of the biology of man. A woman who decides that she's a man and goes through all of these these mutilations—they call them surgeries—but really, they're just mutilations of her body to be able to add male parts and hide female parts doesn't change the molecular biology. It doesn't change the very, very physical biology of this person at all. And so you get these reports on the news that say a uh, man has a baby. Well, no, that's not true. Uh, the woman had a baby. She just decided she would be a man. So transgender movement is actually a movement of the mind. It's not a movement of the flesh because a person thinks themselves to be something doesn't mean that that's what they are it just means that's what they wish they could be and so they're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen which is why anyways i'll get in trouble going there but it's insane it's insanity (laughs) pure and simple and behold your cousin elizabeth as as was pointed out, the impossibility of a, of, of a virgin giving a birth. How about the impossibility of a person who was too old to give birth having a child? The angel says, Thy cousin Elizabeth, she, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Then, of course, from, from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to verse 45, we see the visit that Mary has to her cousin Elizabeth, who rejoices in the voice of the mother of the Lord. that comes uh, really exciting stuff. Mary begins the, the song of praise as she sings, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the God my Savior. Uh, so we we have that from from verse number forty six down to verse number fifty six. But make no mistake: in the in, this, in the six months that Mary was with Elizabeth, make no mistake of this. There is a fear in Mary's heart. You see, this young lady has surrendered herself to the will of God, but the will of God necessitates that that she be filled with a child. That that would ultimately bring her under the scorn of the community, as believed that while while there with Elizabeth, that Mary would have been entered into an indiscretion and would have have cheated on Joseph, that that uh, she would be pregnant, and the only way by which the people around her would know pregnancy to be possible would be to for another man to have been involved. So Joseph would have to face the scrutiny of of. Of divorcing mary of putting her away privately we'll see him uh, tomorrow as we look at joseph's life as considering the the ways in which he can leave mary if he does so privately she at least gets a chance to be able to live but if he does so publicly they stone her to death and thus, who's listening to her when she tells the account of the angel that has come upon, you know, that has come to her and, and that God would consider her to be the vessel that would bring the Messiah to, to, the, to the earth? Who's listening to her? Who's, who's hearing her tale? As it is believed to be just that a tale, not the truth, but a wild story to cover up an in indiscretion. And yet the whole time she speaks the truth, but no one's hearing her. And so you can imagine the fear that is in her soul. But guys, she trusted the Lord, and Jesus was born. There may be a lot of connections, ladies that are listening to this. There may be a lot of connections you might have with Mary. Trust the Lord, and He'll see you through. In fact, there may be a lot of connections to some of the guys that are listening to this today that that are in Mary. The message that we would try to share with our neighbors, the message that we would try to share with our family, our friends, only to be rejected or ignored because it seems too fanciful. It seems too too impossible. Well, trust in the Lord. He'll see you through. And may God bless you this day and, and, and just rejoice in this first character that we would talk about in Mary. Father, we're thankful. We ask that blessing upon this young lady as we think about her life, Lord, and you you would bring her to a testimony of all generations who would read about her. The faithfulness of of even facing death, as as would be said in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just as Mary did. For in in the believed indiscretion, they could have easily have stoned her. But Joseph chose her, Joseph took her, Joseph obeyed God as well. And in their together obedience, you brought something beautiful into the world. We pray, Lord, that we would would be as faithful as they, and that in our obedience today, you, through us, could bring something beautiful into the world. We'll give you praise and thanks for how you work in us, with us, and through us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. And until tomorrow, when we look at Joseph, take care.